Good morning, everyone. I am Stuart Shanker, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of our Shanker Chronicles podcast. This is a six-episode podcast series, which gives me an opportunity to take a deep dive into the historical, scientific, uh, political, and, and philosophical background of some of the most important issues of our day. So, thank you all for joining me as we work towards a more regulated society, a self-regulated society, a truly just society. I thought that for today, for our very first podcast, I would um, look at the issue that really everyone is talking about um, constantly, and that's how polarized our society is becoming, not just our society, but it looks like every society around the world is becoming increasingly polarized. And, you know, there's nothing particularly uh, new about saying that we've become deeply polarized, um, but it does raise for self-riggers um, some very interesting questions. You know, as I started to think about this, um, I couldn't help but go back to my early days at Oxford when I was an undergraduate. And I realized that uh, I was really being trained in political theory to be a liberal democratic thinker. And so they started us off reading John Milton's Aeropagitica, and then we rent uh, we went from there, we read John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. Uh, we finished up with uh, Isaiah Berlin's Two Concepts of Liberty. So uh, it was drilled into us uh, from the very start that um, uh, our society, modern, modern Western society, was based on this idea of a, of a social contract, uh, the idea that there would always be fierce uh, political debate around, you know, the leading issues of the time, but that every individual um, recognized that it was in their best interest to have a society governed by consensus. Whatever it might be, you would, uh, you would accept the majority decision uh, because of the returns, namely that you lived in a safe uh, and relatively harmonious society. Um, and if you think about it, uh, you know, right from the start, I, I, I wondered if this wasn't some sort of naive, rationalist uh, vision of how societies operate. And I say that because every Friday night, I had a seminar that I'd go to from five until seven. Um, and uh, we sat around a huge table and discussed um, various issues uh, about the nature of language, the nature of thought. And Oxford at that time, at the graduate level, was very uh, polarized. Um, so here we had, you know, some of the world's leading logicians, and they divided into two camps, the Phrygians and the Wittgensteinians. And what was weird was that the two camps sat, sat on opposite sides of the table. And it quickly became apparent to me that nobody was really listening to what the other side was saying, that the, in no sense were they trying to um, work together to resolve some you know, deep philosophical problem. Instead, what it was all about was uh, trying to um, 
you know, one up the opposite side, find some uh, element in their argument that you could attack. And it got pretty heated um, uh, to the point where um, the two sides wouldn't even talk to each other when they, if they saw each other on the street. These were two warring camps. And this is weird because, you know, in my daytime lectures, I was learning all about the importance of consensus. But here, you know, I was watching the leading magicians of my time, and they were anything but interested in consensus. So, um, you know, it was already uh, clear to me that something else is going on in polarization, that uh, it's not simply a case of you have uh, two uh, contrary sides and they don't agree on some basic idea or principle. Um, there was some deep emotional issue that was subverting this so-called rational process. And so I couldn't help but wonder um, what hope was there uh, for society at large if not even a, a, a relatively privileged group of logicians could discuss things with a single goal, the goal of, you know, resolving some problem or finding truth, whatever, however you define it. So I was discouraged. Um, uh, I, began to, I began to feel that uh, the original uh, liberal democratic idea of consensus politics was um, just that, just an ideal. Uh, I wasn't sure that you'd ever really achieve it. Um, but something different is happening today. So uh, it's not enough to just say, well, you know, we're very polarized and that makes political agreement very difficult, if, if even feasible. Um, there's something else that's going on here. And um, it's not simply that we've become polarized, that all kinds of things happen when, a, when an individual, a citizen or whoever is polarized, um, that, uh, that, be, that rational discourse becomes hard. What's different today is um, political parties for about the last 25 years now have gone out of their way to cultivate polarization. In other words, if we were to, uh, if we were to say, if we had this opportunity to meet with our political leaders and say, don't you see how polarized we've become, uh, their response would be, thank you. I've done a good job. Um, in other words, they are deliberately seeking to cultivate polarization. Um, now, that's always been true, I think, of, of um, democratic politics. Um, as far back as you can go, we can see rabble rousing. Uh, we can see uh, would-be demagogues. I mean, this is nothing new, but there is an element that's new today, uh, and that is how they're doing it, how they are, um, how they are cultivating polarization. Uh, the reason why they're cultiva cultivating polarization is fairly clear. What happens when someone is polarized is, um, well, to begin with, um, you're polarized 
essentially you become polarized around negative emotions, principally anger and fear. And so the human being, we tend to uh, band together in the face of anger and fear. Um, there is the security of the group. This is wired into the limbic system at a very early age. Um, so uh, to say that we have, uh, that we see tribalism, uh, you know, at a fairly pitched uh, level today is, a, is for the political leaders or the political machinery a sign that they have been doing their job well. That's what they want. Uh, and you'll cultivate the tribalism any way you can, maybe with a T-shirt that everyone wears that denigrates the opposite side, or you put signs on your, on your front lawn. Or, um, so all of this is you know, an indication that whatever you're doing, um, you know, as a party that's trying to provoke polarization, you're doing your job, job well. Now, when we become polarized, um, this for self-reg is essentially, it means that we've gone red brain. And that right away tells us that your ability to process, whether it's what your own side is saying or what the other side is saying, is, um, is very sharply constricted. There's a very interesting report just the other day about a voter in um, Virginia, and uh, he was rabidly Republican because the other side believed in critical race theory. And the uh, news reporter began questioning him, what was it about um, uh, critical race theory that he disliked? And at the end of the interview, it was clear that he didn't know anything. He didn't know what it was. But that's the point. It was what used to be called a shibboleth. It's, it's just, um, it, was a, it was, you know, a way of all of this group banding together. That's what's significant here. And you're not really processing, you know, the whys. You're not, your ability to think carefully um, is uh, exactly what they are, what the uh, polarizer is seeking to uh, constrain. Um, so, okay, so um, we go into red brain. Uh, we can't really process what the other side is saying uh, or feeling. And one of the things that happens in, uh, in red brain is that your emotions become all or nothing. Uh, meaning that, you know, if you look, say, at a child that's gone red brain and they're angry with their, with their parent, all they feel is the anger uh, and the fact that they might also love their parent it just disappears because um, you can't have these conflicting emotions. You just have the, the sort of very primitive emotional reaction. Uh, so we find that... Um, you know, as a fundamental aspect of polarization, uh, empathy, empathy for the other side uh, really does disappear or is significantly reduced. Uh, and then we've got, um, uh, you know, a very important part of logic is what's called reality-based thinking. Um, and this is, you know, if you follow the work that uh, Stanley Greenspan did or in our book, The First Idea, um, you know, we, we make the case that reality-based thinking uh, is fundamentally bound up with um, 
uh, with emotions, with emotion regulation. Um, and so when you're in red brain um, and you're, uh, in effect, regressing to a lower emotion level of emotional functioning, um, your ability to distinguish between reality and uh, non-reality fantasy um, is sharply uh, constrained. So that makes you uh, vulnerable to say something like outrageous conspiracy theories um, because it's now becoming very difficult in this red brain state to distinguish between, you know, uh, what say a public health official is saying and what uh, some anonymous um, so-called expert is saying on social media. So all of these are, you know, if, if, if what you're after is to create this polarized voting block, um, these are good. This is what you want. Um, this is how, you know, there are a couple of uh, positive outcomes for uh, the, pol the political party that um, is seeking to cultivate this. One is that, um, you know, it's a way of trying to get back into power or stay in power, or at the very least, you are subverting the ability of the government in power to manage effectively. And so it all becomes, uh, you know, uh, politics is no longer um, a function of what I was taught as an undergrad, you know, trying to solve together very difficult, if not intractable problems. Instead, what you're doing is, you know, you, the, the, the it be, politics has become a zero-sum game. Uh, and it's really just about using uh, using polarization to get into power, stay in power. Okay, so, so far, uh, all I'm saying is, you know, this is relatively uh, familiar to everyone um, that's following the news today. Um, so uh, where does, um, where does self-reg enter into this? Now with self-reg, what we're trying to do is uh, if we are uh, deeply overstressed, uh, we really want to understand before we can before we can begin to reduce our stress, uh, before we can uh, get to that state of calmness, which is you know the precursor of restoration. Uh, we really need to understand why we're overstressed. What is the cause of my being uh, essentially? Um, in this chronic state of being overstressed. And that's where we see something very significant happening today. Okay. And I wanted to read you a quotation. This came out last week, I believe. Now there are, are there's two ways you can basically um, get a group to band together. There's two ways you can, you know, inspire this sense of, of unity. Uh, I think back to when I was a teenager and uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau made his incredible march uh, uh, where he mobilized the country around this concept of a just society. So, that's, so we can see how strong pro-social emotions can bring a group together. And that's very inspiring when it happens. And we saw Obama do this in his first run. We saw JFK do this. Um, Nelson Mandela, all kinds of examples 
of how strong pro-social emotions um, can bring, uh, can create this sense of shared uh, belief, a shared harmony in a group of, of electors. But we are seeing something different today. And we've been seeing it, as I said, for about 25 years, but now it's getting um, very intense. So here's a quotation I wanted to read you. Um, it came out uh, in a different set of chronicles. It came out in the Facebook chronicles that were published in uh, the Wall Street Journal. And uh, this quotation really, really caught me. Uh, quote, Facebook's ranking algorithm treated emoji reactions as five times more valuable than likes, internal documents reveal. The theory was simple. Posts that prompted lots of reaction emoji, that, in, in other words, anger, tended to keep users more engaged. And keeping users engaged was the key to Facebook's business. Okay, so just to put that in perspective, what they're saying there is that what Facebook discovered was that an entry that made users angry, that triggered anger, was five times more effective for their business model than having a like, saying, I like this post. And so that's what's going on today. Um, and if you think about, say, all those uh, Twitter comments, which were you know, so uh, upsetting, uh, they were designed to trigger anger. And whether you were against what the uh, Twitter post said, or you were in agreement, it was a win-win for the team that was sending out these posts because what they were triggering was polarization. Polarization around anger. Anger, it turns out, is, um, is incredibly effective at all of the things I mentioned above about polarization, getting a group to band together, promoting tribalism. And what they've discovered is that if you can get a group of individuals angry enough, uh, they will, they will um, obstruct uh, the opposite party from doing anything and then, and then in dramatically increase their chances of winning in the next cycle. And if you live in a society where the cycle is every two years, then what's happening, you know, there's one election or another every two years, then what's happening is you are exposed to this constant wave of feeling very angry, of, um, of with all of the consequences of this red brain state that I mentioned. There's something very troubling about this as a political strategy. Um, in, in many ways, uh, it distorts the political reality. So this isn't about, uh, this is not about how we actually govern. It's about how we win power. And there's a, an article in CNN on Tuesday that really caught my attention. Uh, and the headline was this, uh, Tuesday's elections in Virginia and New Jersey show that the U.S. is a more moderate and centrist country than activists on either the right or the left let on. And so it then 
uh, in the body of the article. And this is something that's familiar to us uh, in Canada, that the distance in terms of legislation between uh, conservative and liberal is, um, it's more a matter of degree than, uh, you know, this sharp swing on the political spectrum. So here we have um, what I think is this is this dramatic, um, you know, sort of distinction between the rhetoric, which is designed to polarize, and the actual governing, which is designed not to polarize. But the problem is that um, the electorate, the individual, is paying a very heavy price for this. Um, because uh, if you are, and, and the price is not simply that, you know, you become uh, hostile to your neighbor, um, that you become, that uh, you become, uh, uh, you know, sort of um, the essence of tribalism is that, you know, you become blind, uh, deaf, I should say, to what the other side is saying, incapable of hearing them not interested in listening to them, only interested in your side winning. Um, we actually pay a very heavy price for that. We pay a heavy price for being stuck in red brain. Um, and the price is, you know, you become uh, chronically anxious. And I think that that's what we're seeing around the world today, these heightened levels of anxiety. Uh, and it's playing out at every level. Um, it's playing out uh, we are certainly seeing an explosion of anxiety-related disorders in children and teens. Um, amongst adults, what we're seeing are, you know, these sudden eruptions of uh, not just anger, but of rage, um, which over the most trivial of things uh, and our inability to, you know, in a meaningful way, um, reach consensus. I mean, it, it's become very difficult to believe at all in the original lib liberal democratic vision of, of democracy. Um, but we pay an even deeper price. And the deeper price is that anger, anger and fear, but anger is very, very expensive. Um, we are expending enormous amounts of energy and it's not just, um, you know, it's not just in these confrontations with individuals that belong to the other tribe. Um, you are burning energy just reading a newspaper article, just reading a tweet. That sudden burst of adrenaline or epinephrine, uh, it's expensive. And so what we're seeing today is really a society uh, that is um, stuck in the bottom right of the Thayer matrix, meaning a society where we are all uh, in a low energy, high tension state. So how do we begin to correct this? Um, and that's the whole point of these podcasts. Um, it's really to recognize what's going on, to come to terms with uh, a, that we are overstressed, and then figuring out why am I overstressed? And there's all kinds of stresses that are going on in the world today. And the stresses are financial, um, the stress, uh, the obvious stress of the pandemic. But on top of all that, we are, um, we are gripped in a political cycle that is 
um, that doesn't give us any respite, doesn't give us that chance of restoring, of feeling that the last uh, big polarized fight is over and now we get a break. Now we get to just relax a a bit and do what uh, Milton uh, preached. And that is, you know, begin to work on the problems that really do matter, um, such as the degradation of the environment. So um, we have a duty, not just an opportunity, but a duty as self-regers to help everyone understand um, that this is happening, why this is happening, and we don't want this to happen anymore. We need now to we need now to um, distance ourselves from all those attempts to trigger anger in us or fear. Um, they they in fact uh, the two become what's called undifferentiated. The anger is bound up with the fear of whatever the theme is, the fear of foreigners, the fear of whatever, or quite simply the fear of the other side. Uh, This is one of the most potent um, motivators, if you like, polarizers. Um, So we need to see that this is happening, and then we need others to see that they are overstressed, that they are in red brain, and that what's required when we're in red brain is to turn off the alarm. So what's required is soothing. And that's what Milton and that's what Mill and that's what Berlin didn't quite realize that what we've learned um, from the science of the last 30 years, what we've learned is the effect of having a kindled limbic alarm. So now what we have to do is we have to turn off that alarm in ourselves and help um, before we enter any kind of political dialogue. We have to help others um, turn off the alarm, get back into that state where the liberal democratic dream becomes viable. Uh, So that's kind of what I see myself as doing in these podcasts. not just describing, not just repeating a term, but trying to go a little deeper, trying to figure out the why. And in self-reg, that's what we always do. We're always asking why and why now. So I hope you've I, I hope you found this interesting. Uh, this podcast was brought to us today by Self-Reg Global, and this is part of our mission to bring self-reg knowledge uh, to audiences around the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll subscribe and follow us on social media. And if you miss anything, you can check out the show notes, uh, which are at Selfreg Global's website, selfregglobal.com. Thank you very much for joining me today on this first episode of the Shanker Chronicles. And join me again next week as I will look at another global issue that has been on everyone's mind. Thanks, everyone, and I'll see you next week.